Hey, it's Adam Sank. And if you like my radio show, you'll love my comedy album, Adam Sank, live from the Stonewall Inn. <gasps> oh my goodness. What? Fellatio? Really? Available on Amazon, iTunes, and Google Play. Get ready for comedy. Politics. The gay spin on the story was like, Queen Elizabeth fucking loves us. Pop culture. I'm not a sports fan. I don't follow this shit. Sexual harassment of celebrity guests. And you are always welcome in my apartment in New York City. And by my apartment, I mean my bed. <laughs> and poetry. Hotter than Vesuvius, more well-endowed than the Mastodon. It's the Adam Sank Show on Derek and Romaine 2.0. And for the next hour, you're in the ass. And now, the one, the only, Adam Say! Bottom. He's just a boy, but he's a bottom. Whoa. Make him top, then he'll cry. Never even satisfied. It's a boy is a bottom, bottom. We're we're all doing harmony. All right, welcome to the Adam Sank Show. Today is Sunday, June 3rd. I am Adam Sank, and we are back live, if you're listening at adamsank.com slash podcast. So if you are listening live, call us at 844-825-5367. My question for callers today, if we have any, is should Samantha B. have apologized? Was she right to apologize for calling Ivanka Trump a cunt? We will weigh in on that. Old episodes of The Adam Sank Show are now available on iTunes. Leave me your ratings and reviews when you listen to the show on any streaming services. And please email me at adam at adamsank.com. And for God's sake, like the Facebook page. Um, we have as our guest today, I am very excited for the first time on The Adam Sank Show, it's Peter Page from Queer as Folk, Ooh. who played Emmett on Queer as Folk and went on to create The Fosters, which was a, a hugely popular show, is a hugely popular show about a lesbian couple raising children. Am I hearing the air conditioner? Is that what that weird sound is in the background, JB? Probably. I think so. Yeah, it's worth it. Sorry about the noise, you guys, but it's hotter than balls in here. and um, Hotter than Vesuvius. It's hotter than Vesuvius. That voice is my beautiful co-host who's been missing for far too long from the Adam Sank Show. It's Ryan Frostig. Adam, it's been so long. It really has been a long time. I never Ron- see you anymore. Well, I see you constantly, unfortunately, but uh, but not in the studio where I you belong. Know. The problem is that Ryan has a job that requires him to work on Sunday evenings, and so he can never stay for all of the second hour, the hour that we tape. It's true. I'm a working girl. But when she's here, she's she fabulous. Here, honey. We have so many things to talk about today, and I think we have to start with my medical condition. Oh, it has been quite the journey. Ryan has been going through it with me for the last three days because Friday morning, I had surgery on my ass. <laughs> That's actual audio. That is like so close to... Uh, of the aftermath. What I actually heard. Coming out of the bathroom. Yes. I'm not going to go into uh, why I had surgery, but let's just say I had something raised and something lowered. <laughs> No, if you must know, I had um, I had a, a large hemorrhoid that was banded. I hope no one's eating right now. And I had an anal wart that had to be destroyed. Because, because, because anal warts can become cancerous and uh, you have to be checked for them. And anyway, it was the most... The operation itself was fine. I was completely put out. I was on the Michael Jackson drug. I don't remember a thing. And when I woke up, I was numb for the first few hours. But then and now I it's was just... in just intense excruciating pain and um there's blood coming out of my asshole it's a beautiful thing i'm wearing a panty liner a maxi pad if you will i had to ask my sister for instructions are you wearing the think underpants you know the period panties because that'd be great <laughs> no i'm wearing an actual woman's maxi pad right now just i don't want to serving do, woman i don't want to leak all over the dnr studios chairs but it's been a rough time i had a fever the first day um Ryan was there the first time I tried to use the bathroom. Oh, my God. We're not going to go into what happened. All I will say is I am forever traumatized and... As is the bathroom. As is the bathroom. It was really... It was pretty horrifying. So I'm on the mend. 
Um, I made it into work today, even with my um, my ass problems. Um, I believe we have a caller, JB. Is it Charles from Cornhole? Charles from Cornhole, you're on the show. Hey there, how are you? I'm hey, I'm fine, and I'm very I mean, happy that you're I, not dead. Oh my god! Yeah, and I, I I can't tell you how much I appreciate the fact that you express such concern, and nice. I I'm. We were so worried. Not like, only was Charles actually, not only was Charles missing from the show for like three weeks, but he was missing from Facebook, which is where he lives. Yeah, yeah that never happened. He just disappeared. So tell yeah, us no, where you it, were. I took Dad on a cruise through the Panama Canal. So, so we were we were on a cruise ship. It turns out it was the largest cruise ship to ever pass through the Panama Canal. Size it was queen. the Norwegian Cruise Line Bliss. And unbeknownst to me, there were about 150, 160 other queers on board, and we just had a gay old time. Wait, it was a gay cruise and you didn't know it? No, no, no. The ship's got a, has like 4,000 passengers. It's huge. But they had a, an LGBT mixer the first night out. And, there were and I went up there after telling my dad, well, gee, dad, I don't know how many. I may be back in five minutes. And I went up there, and instead, the, the whole observation deck was just chock-a-block full of us. Wow. So it was wonderful. Did you wind up getting your knob polished? No, actually, and I didn't even end up getting a chance to polish any knobs myself, although it wasn't for lack of trying. Oh, poor Charles. Well, at least yeah. you got to see some gays, if not experience any. Um, Charles, I'm, I'm happy that you are alive and well. If you ever go on an extended vacation again, just put something on Facebook Let that says, hey, know. I'm going to be away. I, 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 to tell you the truth, I just didn't want to advertise to the whole world that there would be nobody at this house. Nobody would be weeks. guarding the cornhole estate. Exactly. Yeah. Um, real quick, do you have any opinion on Samantha B and whether or not she should have apologized? I don't think she needed to apologize. I think that the C word, which I could probably actually say on your show. You, um, you're welcome to. You're encouraged. Yeah, the cunt, cunt is, is a throwaway word in an awful lot of the English-speaking language. In Australia, in Great Britain, and even really in Canada, uh, they toss that word around like nobody's business. But in so, the U.S., it's it's a pretty vile word. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't like it just because <laughs> it conjures it. up really bad memories. But um, <laughs> it's, it's uh, it, you know, uh, but see, by the same token, you remember, I'm in that minority. I thought that since we managed to uh, reclaim queer for the LGBT community, um, I don't feel that offended by the use of faggot, frankly, and I thought that we should be able to reclaim it, but apparently I'm premature on that opinion. I don't, I don't so. mind being called a faggot as long as the guy who's calling me it is inside me at the time. <laughs> yeah, thank there you, you go. All right, there Charles, i got to let you go. We're going to talk about yeah. Samantha B. and Roseanne in just a moment. Uh, thank you, you for calling you. in, and thank you for uh, being alive and well and supporting my show as always. Love you all. Bye-bye. Thanks, Bye, honey. Girls. There's another caller on the line? Uh, caller, you say what? Hello? Elvis, are you transferring someone to us? What are you doing? Go ahead, JB. Caller, you can talk now. Hello? Hello? Who this? This is Gail. Hi, Gail. Where are you calling from? Uh, I live in Myrtle Beach. Are you a regular listener of The Ass? I am. This is the first time I'm calling because... You usually are talking about things that <laughs> I have no business talking about. But today um, we're talking about anal warts, and you are here for it. Well, that's cool, because for uh, four and a half years, I worked for the Department of Health. Perfect. <laughs> what did now, you want to say, I'm again? calling to tell you that, you poor thing, and you might hear in so much pain, I think it's time for you to start being a top. <laughs> well, it certainly is for the next several weeks. Uh, I, there, being a bottom is not an option for me. I think your butt is telling you, no mas, por favor. <laughs> Can we isolate that for the next uh, new opening that we cut, JB? I need Gail sure. saying that to me. No, Gail, your <laughs> advice is uh, is 100% correct. I, uh, I cannot have anything back there, nor do I want anything back there for quite some time. Oh, good. You need to take care of your body. I try to. Gail, you're speaking the truth. I really do. I eat well. I go to the gym. I'm not nearly yes, the ho- I'm not nearly the whore that I once was. But do you know, Gail? You probably do know this. You can get warts from just from someone sticking their finger in. Sure. 
I mean, it's re- sure. they're really easily spread. And I, sure, I, but, I, you know, that's so many things. And uh, even after this, you, you, you might be a little more prone to getting, getting more things. Oh, God, let's because you had all that stuff done there. Well, things are going to be sensitive and, yeah. Great. You know. <laughs> I just thought I'd tell you. Oh, and my opinion on Samantha B is yes. that was her personal opinion. It wasn't racist. It wasn't homophobic. And she had no business apologizing. All right. Gail? I certainly wouldn't have. I appreciate, have your, I appreciate your calling in. Please uh, call again. We'd love to hear from you. Okay. Thanks, honey Bye. Bunny. Gail calling to tell me that my sex life is ruined and that my hole will never recover. She is right. Ed, you have to be a top from now on, apparently. Yeah. I mean, listen, you guys don't believe me, but I have been a top, and I have no problem being a top. It's just that, as I've said before, when people see me naked, and they look at the dick, and they look at the ass, they go to the ass. They decide that I'm going to be the bottom in that relationship. That's just how it is. I understand that. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's move on. This is normally when we would do the Perv NATO update, but I have a huge announcement what? Get ready, ask listeners, and Ryan and JB and Elvis, hold on to your hats because the pervnado is dead. <gasps> That's taps starting in the middle for some reason. Uh, yes, the pervnado update, I've decided it has run its course. We've been doing it for, I believe, seven or eight months now. It's been a... A while. However long it's been since November, we've been starting every live show with a roundup of all of the men accused of sexual misconduct and harassment over the past two weeks. Um, I, I don't feel like it, it serves a purpose anymore. These stories are out there. If you're interested in them, definitely you can go online and read about them. This was a huge week, too. You had Harvey Weinstein yeah. being accused, uh, being charged formally with rape. Right. And R. Kelly being sued by, uh, I believe it's several women, mm-hmm. for... Um, sexual misconduct but but i'm just i'm bored with it i sense the listeners are too um when huge things happen in the world of especially in gay gay world we will discuss it but um you're closing up your hole you're closing up segments <laughs> you're in just like my hole the pervnado is closed for business <laughs> so i hope you don't miss it too much um but i do want to talk about roseanne and samantha b now When the Roseanne thing happened, I thought that would be all that we would be talking about on Mm -hmm. today's show. Because it was a big fucking deal when the number one show in the entire country gets canceled instantly because of a tweet. Um, I was 100% behind ABC's canceling it, even though, as I've said on the show before, I have very mixed feelings about the reboot because I actually liked the reboot. I liked it too. And I thought that it was doing a lot of good as far as reaching middle America with messages about trans kids and Islamophobia and economic insecurity and other things that like Trump's America needs to know about. Right. The show itself was very progressive. Roseanne was not. And Roseanne's tweets long before this tweet about Valerie Jarrett in which she called her an ape um, her tweets, she's done far worse things than that. She she posed as a Nazi with little Jewish cookies going into an oven for Hebe magazine. She's retweeted ridiculous conspiracy theories. Right. Like, this is not a new occurrence. This no. Is, this has been... And she's been racist before. She called Susan Rice, another Obama advisor, an ape years ago. This is nothing new. What this was was the straw that broke the camel's back. Right. And I think ABC and the show's creators, including Wanda Sykes and Whitney Cummings, had probably said to her, listen, you do one more of these and we're out. Right. Because after she attacked the Parkland shooting survivor. Oh, my God. That guy, David Hogg, Mm -hmm. is that his name? After she attacked him, I think they were like, listen, bitch, one more and you're out. And then she did it. It's so frustrating to me because I really, I, I never watched Roseanne. I mean, it was kind of like you know, before my time. And then like, I watched a few of the, the reruns, but I found it to be a successful reboot of a sitcom, like more so than I hate to say it. Will and grace. Totally. And I know that listeners will read me for filth for that, but that's the truth. It was like, the writing was good. The direction was good. The acting was good. And you know, if you, if you just, take a look at the character of Roseanne. She's funny. Like yeah. it's, she's a great character. She has layers. There's so much going on there. And it's just so unfortunate because the actual Roseanne is a horrible garbage human. And 
there have to be consequences for her actions. It's yeah. inexcusable, these kind of things. If you have a successful uh, hit show on primetime television, you can't have those kind of tweets going out. You just can't. Correct. Now, a lot of people on the left, after this all went down, started bashing Sarah Gilbert and John Goodman. Right. And um, Laurie Metcalf for and saying complacent. for being com- for being complicit and complacent and basically for for knowing what they were getting into and with whom they were getting into it and still going along with it, quote unquote, for their own career or for yeah, money. I heard that, too. Now, first of all, neither Sarah Gilbert nor John Goodman nor Laurie Metcalf needs money. Laurie Metcalf was nominated for an Oscar and a Tony this past year. Yeah, she's doing OK. Yeah. John Goodman, huge movie star, has been in tons of movies. He's doing fine. By the way, anyone who was on the original show is set for life. Right. Sarah Gilbert created the talk, has been hosting it for 10 years. These were not people who were out on the street. Now, Michael Fishman <laughs> and, Sarah, and Sarah, what's her name, Lacey Garrison, mm-hmm. they may have been doing it for the Need money. Some cash. But here's what I think. I think they thought that if they could get around Roseanne on a regular basis, they could maybe bring her back into some reality. Totally. And moderate her and make her see, because they're all super liberal, as is Whitney Cummings and, um, and Wanda, Sykes. Wanda Sykes. I think they thought, like, let's rescue Roseanne. Yes, we can make a great show. Yes, we can all make some money. But let's, like, bring Roseanne back into mainstream and, like, show her that she's being a crazy bitch. I, I happen to think... I happen to be um, less cynical about their motives than some people are, right. and I, do, I certainly don't blame them or hold them responsible for what Roseanne says. They, they, they can't be held responsible, and I feel like they believed in the show, and they believed in, not in her beliefs and her morals, but her, her talent and her vision. I mean, she created this, this show, and, and it was doing really well, and I just think it's unfortunate right. that... So then Samantha Bee happens... And in case you missed it, here's what Samantha Bee actually said on her show. You know, Ivanka, that's a beautiful photo of you and your child, but let me just say, one mother to another, do something about your dad's immigration practices, you feckless cunt. He listens to you. Put on something tight and low cut and tell your father to fucking stop it. Tell him it was an Obama thing and see how it goes, okay? We'll be right back. Whoa. Now, the first thing I have to say is I believe that uh, the word feckless was looked up on Google probably a million times that day. Yeah. Primarily by Trump supporters. Um, I confess, feckless is one of those words I always forget what it means. And then when I hear it, I look it up and then I forget it again. It, it basically means uh, useless, ineffective, mm-hmm. incompetent. It's a great word. It's yeah. a really old word. After this came out, and, and, and just to be clear, the television show aired that segment with the word cunt bleeped, but you could see what she was saying. On uh, on the web, they released it uncensored. Right. So after the controversy erupted, Samantha B tweeted, I would like to sincerely apologize to Ivanka Trump and to my viewers for using an expletive on my show to describe her, la- to describe her last night. It was inappropriate and inexcusable. I crossed the line, and I deeply regret it. And right away, a lot of people, including Kathy Griffin and a lot of people on my Facebook and my Twitter, were like, she should not have apologized. It is not the same as what Roseanne said. She said nothing wrong. Cunt is not racist. Ivanka is a cunt. Blah, blah, blah. And my feeling was, yes, it's not racist. And yes, calling someone a cunt is not the same as calling a black woman an ape. I see the difference. Yes. You see the difference. Correct. Trump's America doesn't see the difference. Exactly. They, to them, calling uh, Ivanka a cunt is as offensive or more offensive as calling Valerie Jarrett an ape. They, first of all, they're not offended by racism. Right. <laughs> and second of all, they don't, they don't understand the nuances of w- one offensive word or, or, or uh, expression and another. I fe- I feel like it was a mistake for her to say it, not because I have a problem with the word cunt. I say it no. all the time. Right. And in fact, just three weeks ago on this show, while talking about Roseanne, I said this. She basically like chastises her for being an Islamophobic cunt. Mm-hmm. But Roseanne is an Islamophobic cunt. Mm-hmm. And that's what I found so interesting. It's like she's playing a character who's saying all the right things 
and doing a lot of good. For all the Trump supporters watching that TV show, mm -hmm. they're getting a message that they fucking need to hear. But the woman herself is saying the opposite on Twitter. So you say, Adam, you're a hypocrite. How come you can call Rosanna Cunt and Samantha B can't, can't call Ivanka a cunt? Well, because first of all, nobody knows who I am. Yeah, that's true. This little dog and pony show goes out to several hundred people. <laughs> all of which are All of whom wonderful. are very important to me. Yes. But when I say something like that, it does, it's not going to make headlines. And second of all, I probably shouldn't use that word. I probably shouldn't describe women that way or anyone yeah. that way because the word, it is a violent word. Mm -hmm. It does upset a lot of people. And like Samantha B should have, I should be able to express myself and, and describe someone that I'm unhappy with and that I object to without resorting to those words. Ryan Frostig. I, I just feel like, you know, I don't want her to apologize because she has the right to express her opinions, but unfortunately in this climate that we're in it just adds fuel to the fire you know what i mean like if we give them you know michelle michelle obama said it best when they go low we go high yes if we are calling them uh you know people in trump's camp or his family members um any sort of name it just makes us look like we're as bad as they are we lose the moral high ground yeah we lose power we any time that the, that the right or the Trump Trump supporters can hold up something we've done and go, well, look what they did. Exactly, they're worse. This is exactly what I said about Kathy Griffin and the bloody Trump head. Right. I'm not offended by the bloody Trump head. I'm not offended by calling Ivanka a cunt. Please, that doesn't offend me in the least. But it's it doesn't help us. Right. It doesn't help it us prove our point. Us. Exactly. And if there is some reasonable Trump supporter out there, someone who might be swayed over to our side. By like reasonable sound argument, they're not going to be, they're going to turn right off to us as soon as we call one of theirs a cunt. And to those people who said that she shouldn't have apologized, she absolutely had to apologize. Yes. Because we need her show. We yeah. need her voice. That's right. If she had not apologized, they might have pulled the show. Well, here's the thing. TBS, it was a different situation. Unlike ABC, which had no control over Roseanne's Twitter, mm -hmm. TBS aired that segment right so they, they knew she was going to say it they yeah. allowed it so they were complicit and they there's no way they could fire her without looking like total hypocrites right they probably told her to apologize yeah but i'm glad she did and i think we have to find a way to express our our righteous anger which is righteous without stooping to the level of name calling and specifically names that we know are going to trigger people and that are really ugly words right I love the word cunt, but I Me know too. a lot of people hate it, and it really offends them, and a lot of women especially. Um, I want to move on because uh, Ryan is here, and it's a rare treat to have him, and because he is an expert on all things RuPaul's Drag Race, we are going to go to our RuPaul's Drag Race correspondent, Ryan Frostig, for a complete update on the show. Thank you, Adam. Take right. it away, Ryan. All right, Queens. So we did not have an episode this past week, which was very sad, but we have had a Drag Race episode every week for the past four months, so I think we're okay for a little bit of a hiatus. Um, last week, we saw Monet Exchange, one of our New York hometown heroes, go home, and it was a little bit of a controversial elimination because a lot of people thought that she shouldn't have been in the bottom two or that she uh, was um, had a better lip sync than Cameron. But the thing is, I just feel like she hit a wall. And when you are in the bottom two twice and you haven't won a challenge, you have to step your pussy up. And I think that she's an amazing queen. She's one of the best queens I've ever seen live. But I just think that it's different. What she does off the show is not what she does on the show. And what she did on the show sent her home. So love you, Monet. You represented us. And we're so happy that you did. Shade. Um, it, it's not shade. It's It's... The real tea. It sounds a little shady to me, so I'm calling it how it is. Thank All right. You. Well, she didn't deliver, so that's what that is. Okay. So now we have a top five, um, and it's it's interesting because I don't know if we have a clear winner yet. I think all of the remaining queens are really strong, but I think that they're all sort of missing something that's kind of going to set them apart from from their competition i agree you know no one really has the x factor to so me. this is what i ha this is what i have to say 
So first we have uh, Ms. Cracker. She finally won a challenge last week. It was very exciting. But I just feel like she's letting her, as Rue would say, inner saboteur get the best of her mm. because she's supposed to be this comedy queen. She's the drag daughter of Bob the Drag Queen, season eight winner. And she's not allowing her the full Cracker fantasy to come through. If anything, she's letting the saltiness that she uh, proclaimed in the beginning of the, of the season um, because she hasn't really done as well as uh, Aquaria, who is probably her biggest competition at this point. Um, so we have her. We have Cameron Michaels, who is hot, so attractive and also a genuine person. I, I really believe that he's like a good person. He's not a douchebag, but it's just there's something there's a disconnect for me. I feel like aesthetically um, very pleasing, performed very well so far. I mean, want to challenge, been in the top, but there's like there's no soul, you know, there's like there's no depth. Yeah. And I feel like that that wall is going to um, prevent her from snatching the crown. So we'll see what happens to her. Um, we have Asia O'Hara, who is embodies and personifies charisma, uniqueness, nerve, and talent for me. She really is a fierce queen, but there's just always, like, she doesn't quite reach the finish line. You know? I, to me, she's Miss Congeniality at best. Yeah, she's been, and she's, she's definitely... Um, proved herself as, as someone who's congenial but it's just what i do like about her is i love when the pageant queens or the queens that you don't necessarily expect to um like succeed in certain areas like really deliver like yeah she's funny sure. you know and she she brings it to the runway i mean sometimes i'm not really feeling it but sometimes why are you gagging why are you gagging to you she every brings it to you every ball um and then we have eureka who is the ultimate comeback queen. I mean, her arc is World of Wonders wet dream. Like, you know, she was eliminated because of her injury. Now she's back. She's back in the splits. And, you know, she's a great queen. I'm just so fucking tired of these loaf wigs that she wears <laughs> every single episode. Rue gave Monet such a hard time for those pussycat wigs. You know, yes. she was saying, oh, yeah, the pussycat wigs. She wears a loaf on her head every single week, and this is not RuPaul's loaf race. This is RuPaul's drag race, and I'm done with the loaves. At the same time, you know, Bianca Del Rio looked the, the exact same every time she put on an outfit on that show. It, certain people are allowed to have a standard look I, that they show over I and agree, over again. But also, like, you know, Dusty Ray Bottoms, episode one, was red for her dot makeup. That's right. her signature look. So it's just like. No, I agree. It's inconsistently enforced. I've had it, officially. <laughs> um, and then, finally, we have Drag Fetus Aquaria. <laughs> and um, it, it's clear, I mean, she when this was filmed, she was 21 years old. It's clear that she has a lot of growth to do as a human. You yes. know, the, the personality, it's here, it's there. But she is the only queen, in my opinion, that came polished, prepared, and like is really here to play the game. And... I feel like she was America's Next Drag Superstar before she even got on the show. I think she's been America's Next Drag Superstar. So for me, based on consistency and based on the fact that this is someone that came on the show as a look queen, a look queen. Yes. And she's funny. Her snatch game was hilarious. Sure. As uh, Melania Trump. And no one was expecting that. And I think she faced, after Eureka, the most pressure from the fan base coming in. So are you, Ryan Frostig, today predicting that Aquaria will and should win RuPaul's Drag Race? Based on consistency, I would give it to Aquaria. Based on what the uh, Empire and what World of Wonder and what like everyone is going to want based on ratings and all that jazz, I think it's going to go to Eureka. We're going to have our first big girl queen. Well, there you have it. Ryan Frostig with his uh, tri-weekly, <laughs> his biannual RuPaul's Drag Race report. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Adam. Speaking of drag race, Mimi I'm First got herself into trouble over the past couple of weeks. Uh, I'm First, his real name is Braden Chapman, admitted to repeatedly engaging men in unwanted sexual conversation via Facebook Messenger, something that uh, I have done many times myself. Same. Many men have been the recipients of unwanted sexual chatter and pictures from me via Facebook Messenger. It just—it's not a good place to uh, 
to send your dick pics <laughs> or your whole pics. I'm first said that he deeply regrets his ongoing late night sexual conversations that involved in-depth and often exaggerated cyber role play that although was welcomed by some has made others unco- feel uncomfortable and used Two local up-and-coming drag queens who are having their 15 minutes of fame, Kyle Ayat, who's 25, and Ethan Hunter Razor, 24, gave separate accounts of incessant unwanted sexual chatting. They say they came forward because they know others have been affected as well. Um, apparently, Mimi is a big fucking deal in Philadelphia. She's like the, the reigning queen of Philadelphia. Yeah, because everyone in New York probably... And so, uh, yeah, she had a lot of power there, but she's admitted to this behavior and she's apologizing for it. So there's your mini Pervnado update. Yeah. And finally, in the couple minutes remaining before we bring uh, the wonderful Peter Page into the studio for our interview, I was watching CBS This Morning, which is my favorite show, Ryan, because I'm 107 years old. Yes, I know. And, and the they, set for that show looks like a hundred. I love that show, and they always end with a um, a little moment of nature. They take you to a video of somewhere peaceful and natural. And they they brought us a few weeks ago to Yellowstone Park, where a mama bear was playing with her cubs. And I was looking at these cubs, and I thought they are so adorable; they actually look like puppies. And then that led me to Google, how closely related are bears and dogs? <laughs> You have a very, very exciting life. This is what I do with my life when I'm at home nursing my bloody hole. Now, it turns out that bears and dogs are not very closely related. Um, But what interested me was the other questions that Google thought I might be interested in. These are other questions that people have Googled that are similar to my question. Remember, my question is how closely related are bears and dogs. Other people have Googled, are bears part of the dog family? Can bear and dog breed? Is a bear more closely related to a seal or a dog? Sorry, I just heard bear and breed. And <laughs> right. It's very triggering. And finally, what animal is related to a dog? So that's what morons like me are asking the internet uh, when they go on Google. Um, meanwhile, that led me to this story. Canine confusion in China. Uh, a family in the Yunnan province of China bought a puppy on vacation, believing the puppy to be a Tibetan Mastiff, and brought the animal home to live with them. From day one, the family was impressed by the dog's massive appetite. It reportedly chowed down on a box of fruit and two buckets of noodles every day. But it wasn't until the pet reached 250 pounds and started walking around on its hind legs that they realized that a mistake had been made. That this dog was actually an Asiatic black bear. Since the family is afraid of wild bears and not capable of caring for one of the creatures, they have since transferred their former family pet to the Yunnan Wildlife Rescue Center where they will receive proper care. So they had a bear, (laughs) thought it was a dog, and then... I'm telling you, when the bear is a cub, it really looks like a puppy. And if you've ever seen a bull mastiff puppy, you know, bull mastiffs have those big fat heads like a bear. Few picks. Brian is now Googling... I need just but I need just Google seeds. baby bear and you'll see that it looks like a dog and I can see where this family was confused but I like the fact that it wasn't until the dog weighed 250 pounds so my question is how long do they wait because like, I feel like you can notice while the bear starts to mature like it seems like oh, they wait a really long time the story doesn't say how long it took for that see Ryan these, is showing the pictures yeah now. but these do not oh well okay come on this you could mistake that for a dog wait let me see oh wait no, I think this is actually a dog though no, that's a bear. Now, by the is way, that a bear? That's a cub. Yes. this is not the first time such a thing has happened in China. Uh, a week before that, a woman found out that her puppy, which she bought from a Chinese pet store, was actually a fox. <laughs> oh, I don't have fox animals. So Apparently in China, they have a hard time identifying bears and uh, or dogs, rather. And some, you know, when you're in China and you adopt a dog, make sure it's not a bear or a fox. All right, you guys, it is time to move on to our guest segment. Do we, uh, is, he, uh, is he ready to go? Fabulous. Our guest today, you guys, is one of the co-creators of The Fosters, Freeform's groundbreaking hit series about a lesbian couple raising children, which airs its series finale beginning this Monday, June 4th. But before The Fosters, he became famous the world over as the flamboyant and lovable Emmett on Queer as Folk. Take a listen. It's like the mirror has two faces. 
No, no, it is because Barbara plays an unattractive professor, no offense, who um, marries Jeff Bridges because neither one of them can handle sex. But of course, Barbara gets horny because, hello, Jeff's such a dreamboat. So um, she hops on a Stairmaster for like two minutes, eats a carrot stick, and then poof, she's gorgeous. Then she comes in dressed like the hooker in nuts, and of course, Jeff's willing to fuck her, and um, they dance in the street. Please give a warm ass welcome to the amazing Peter Page. Hi guys. Hey Peter. Peter, welcome to the ass. How are you doing? I'm good. Are you in okay, LA? Oh, thank you. I am in LA. I am I am in in sunny scenic Los Angeles. Are you sitting in a beautiful sunny spot? Mm, no, I'm no, I'm actually tucked in a bedroom of a condo in the valley. But oh. uh, but but sure, imagine it as you as you might. <laughs> are you wearing anything in that bed? Not much. Yay! Yeah. Come on, naked interview, <laughs> Peter. Uh, it is so great. It, Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say it's called the Ass Show. I thought I ought to show a little. Uh, yeah. Please, that is more than welcome. Yeah. Um, especially since I started the show talking about my anal surgery, we definitely need something to uh, to to sex up the <laughs> listeners after that topic. Wow. Good. Everything okay? I hope. Yes, I believe so. I'm uh, I'm I'm waiting for the results. Uh, okay. Peter, are you sitting on a donut? Are you sitting on a donut? Right I'm. Now? <laughs> I'm actually sitting on a woman's maxi pad. <laughs> just just so there's no leakage in the DNR studios. All right, got it. Let's hey, you do what you got to do, man. Life, life life is a life's a challenge. We just got to get through it. Absolutely. Um Peter, you are also on the phone with Ryan and JB, two millennials who came of age watching you on Queer's Folk. And both of you guys have talked about what a huge influence the show was. Did you know, Peter, when you started working on the show, what a lasting cultural impact it would have? I don't know about lasting. We certainly knew it would have a cultural impact. I I think from the very get-go, we were all drawn to it because of that. Um, And I remember, you know, reading the first script and having my mind kind of blown, like, are we actually going to do this? Um, and then, and then the, the thought very quickly became, you know, as long as we don't back away from this, I think this, this might just have some legs and, um, lucky for us, it did. But I have to say, I have been hugely shocked by the fact that it's still more than a decade later resonating with people all around the world. Yeah. I can't tell you how many people have reached out to me this week when they heard you were going to be on the show and they said, tell Peter, there has to be a reunion. Tell him to make it happen. Like, like you're, like you're going to create the reunion. <laughs> I know, exactly. Tell them to give me, uh, uh, you know, $40 million and I will. <laughs> Ask <laughs> listeners, send Peter page $40 million care <laughs> of GoFundMe going. care of bed in the Valley. <laughs> I was 29 when the show premiered, and for me and my friends, Emmett was the most relatable uh, of all the characters on the show. We all recognized Emmett. You know, he was someone that we knew, someone we were friends with. In many cases, I think it was us. Um, and, And what I thought was really cool about your portrayal of him was that he was a queen, but he was also sexy and cool and and real you know he wasn't just a queen what how did you sort of decide what you were going to bring to that performance and how you were going to play the character thank you so much adam that that is um that's literally exactly what i set out to do from the very very beginning i read the first the first script and what i saw on the page which i thought was really revolutionary at the time was an effeminate gay man who was multifaceted but also who liked himself Yes. And that, that had, up to that point, we just didn't have it. Up to that point, you know, the nellier you were, the more likely you were to die or to be the victim of some horrible violence and, and certainly to be the clown, you know? Um, so I, so that, was, that was sort of what I hung my whole hat on when I was auditioning and when I got the job. I went to the costume designer and I was like, I will wear anything as long as in the next scene I'm in sweatpants. Right. Like, I, like he, he's not... He's not it, you know, he's not Barbara Streisand. He's, he's, a, he's a gay who likes Barbara Streisand. There's a huge, huge difference. And it always makes me crazy, um, that notion that sort of, you know, a Nelly Queen is, is sleeping in, like, a peignoir. It just, all of that makes me nuts. <laughs> right, because even the Nelliest among us usually save the peignoir for when we're having, like, a drag party or something. It, exactly. Exactly. And Emmett, so it's, Emmett it's, had his shit together. You know, Emmett was the character I think that the other characters could depend on. He, he definitely was the grown-up in the group. Mm-hmm. Isn't, that, isn't that amazing? It, 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 and it's true. He was the, he, there was sort of, you know, Emmett, Brian, and Melanie were the three sort of 
we know who we are and we're going to tell you who we are and we're going to operate out of that place in, in that circle. Everyone else was sort of <laughs> floundering, but the three of us had it marked out our territory and sort of held it strong, yeah. as it were. But and yeah, and it was, I, I wanted Emmett to be, you know, not only the, the, the funny queen, but also the best friend you could ever ask for. And, um, and I, you know, thank you so much. I feel like we succeeded. Absolutely, you did. You had done uh, television before Queer as Folk. You had been uh, on a number of, of TV shows, including Will and Grace. Do you know that, Ryan? That's true. Yeah, I remember. How did, uh, tell, give us the story of sort of how you, you wound up getting Emmett, how you wound up getting that part. Well, you know, it's really interesting. So I had, I had been in L.A. about three years when Queer as Folk came, <clears throat> came up, and I had been guest starring on a lot of sitcoms, and I had started screen testing for things, and I had been number two for a lot of jobs. One of the jobs I was number two for was Jack on Will and Grace. No way. And way. <clears throat> Literally, I went into audition. They, they, all walked, they all looked at each other like, oh, my God, we found something. And they said, so listen, you're fantastic. We're doing a screen test on Monday with Sean Hayes. I didn't know that at the time, but with Sean. Um, if we don't cast it out of that session, we will take you. We're not going to take you with him, was, the, was what they said, basically. And, um, and then I saw who got the job, and I was like, oh, wow, that's, that's crazy. I mean, and Sean's fantastic. You know, he was absolutely, it wasn't still as hilarious. Um, and, but I kept losing jobs after Will and Grace went on the air because people said I reminded them too much of Sean. Mm. Oh, um, that sucks. And I was like, oh, my God, did I, re- did I come that close and miss my chance? Like, is this it? Was that my moment? Is that going to be my Hollywood story? Right. Um, and then <clears throat> Queer's Folk came up, um, a casting director friend of mine came up to me at the gym and said, uh, I just heard Showtime bought the rights to Queer's Folk. If I were you, I'd make a phone call. And, um, I did. My manager got me and I was in the first day of pre-reads. Um, did, did, they, did, read... did you and your manager know exactly that you were going to go for Emmett or were you going to go for any character at that point? Well, they, we didn't know who they were going to be. We didn't know how much it was going to be revised from the British series. Like, we didn't, there wasn't anything yet. You know what I mean? He was, right. We were really up in at the ground, ground floor. <clears throat> I got the script. I was actually called in to read for Ted first. Hmm. And I read the script, and I was like, hmm, I can relate to Ted's, you know, self-loathing and his <laughs> bad techiness. I certainly have <laughs> that quality on my darker days. Right. And, and uh, so I went in, and I read and I finished in the casting director said, that was great. I'm going to give you a callback for producers. And I said, you know what? Can I read Emmett for you? And she was like, I'm sorry, did you not hear me? I just said I'm giving you a callback for Ted. And I said, I know. Let me read Emmett. And I, she said, okay. And I read Emmett. And she said, I have never said this before in my career, but who do you want to come back for? Wow. Who do you want to read for, for the producers? And then, this is, and this is, the, this is divine, this is universal, this is, I don't know how or why I did this, but I said, you know what, you brought me in for Ted, take me, take me to producers for Ted. Hmm. And so I, I went in to read for Ted, within 10 seconds, our executive producers were whispering to each other, they stopped me, stop, 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 stop. you're fantastic, you're not Ted. And they said, and they looked at me for a second, and they said, would you, would you go out into the other, would you go out in the other room, and would you come back in and read on it? <laughs> like it was, like you had never thought of it before. I, exactly. I just looked at the cast director and I smiled and I said, "You know what? I think that's a great idea." <laughs> and I went outside and I was totally prepared because I'd already done, worked on the scenes. I came in and killed it. And and uh, as they tell the story, I was the very first person they heard read Emmett, and they never wanted anybody else. That was wow. amazing. That was my gig. But by the way, you know, now I would never get that job because Emmett would absolutely 100% be diverse. And two, Emmett was supposed to be diverse. That was the, the one hurdle in my getting that job. When they took me to, um, for my screen test, it was me, Billy Porter, and Wayne uh, Wilson, and, and both, both black guys. And I was like, well, I guess I'm not getting this job, and, which was great because it also freed me up to do, to do good work. But uh, the president of Showtime was so convinced that Emmett was going to be black that he didn't even watch my audition. Wow. Then they went went around and discussed it, like who who do we want to give Emmett to? Um, the Dan and Ron said we want Peter, and he was like, which one's Peter? And they said the white one, and he said I didn't even know why. Bring him back next week, so I had to come back a week later and do it again. Right, because now anyway. nowadays, if they were to do Queer's Folk, it wouldn't just be all white guys. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't be, and it shouldn't be, and that's I mean, it's something we we all feel collectively as a cast that it shouldn't be that way. 
that 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 you know it, it, it was a different time, but that doesn't make it okay. I'm imp- you know, it, I'm it impressed that I'm impressed that they even had the thought at the time because back back then it just it was almost a given that almost every cast was all white and no one really saw a problem with that. And the fact that they even intended for Emmett to be a person of color, you know, they <laughs> they get a little point for that. <laughs> Um, but, but thank God! I mean, but thank God you got it, Peter, because I can't imagine anyone. I mean, I love I love Billy Porter, and he would have been amazing. But you are Emmett. That part was meant for you. Thank you. It was it was um, such a gift, and you know, I wouldn't. I certainly wouldn't go back in time and give it back if I could. <laughs> there are some things I would do differently if I could go back in time, but that's not one of them. Have you and Sean Hayes ever had a conversation about sort of where you both wound up and the fact that you were almost Jack? No, because you know I don't want to tell somebody. Like I didn't. I don't want to be like you know. Right before your screen tested, they told me I was the next choice. I was like, so you just you sound like such a bozo. But I mean, I, Sean was lovely when I did the show, and we had a great time. Yeah, that's so funny. I mean, I totally can see you mm-hmm. as Jack, but I guess you know I love you as Emmett, and I love him as Jack, and I feel like everything sort of wound up the way it was supposed to. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. If if only I was making six hundred thousand dollars an episode, though. Yeah. Right. Oh, cool. <laughs> Peter, when I was searching YouTube to find an Emmett clip, like the one we just played, I discovered hundreds of these sort of Emmett tribute videos um, that are mostly set to music. Are you aware of these? Um, I, I have seen a few of them. A few of them come across my Twitter feed do, uh, every now and then. They're usually, they're usually just me dancing. Yes. like the, the Devoted fans have created these music videos of, of Peter as Emmett dancing to a variety of songs. And there's a lot of them that have to do with um, Emmett and Ted's relationship. And so it's all of these moments between Peter and Scott Lowell where they're hugging or kissing or arguing and there's music playing. And um, it it seems like that relationship in particular really struck a chord with your viewers, with fans of the show. Uh, Yeah, I guess so. I mean, Scott is to this day one of my closest friends. He is. I adore him. You know, he's been on this show several times. I, I do know that. Yeah. I do know that. And uh, he, he is just fundamentally one of the best human beings walking the planet. And we, we met at our very first screen test. We were the first two people to arrive. And they hadn't even opened the doors to Showtime yet. We were sitting outside the elevators together, kind of looking at each other, sniffing each other out. And really, from that moment on, we, we, we fell in love. And they, you know, interestingly, Ted and Emmett were actually both conceived as Michael's best friends. Hmm. They were sidekicks to Michael, and they weren't ever really meant to carry story, and they certainly weren't meant to kind of spin off as their own pair. But um, but seeing Scott and I in action together, seeing our chemistry and our um, silliness and our, our friendship, which which was very very real, um, Dan and Ron started writing for us. They sort of they sort of went, oh well, let's let's make them a story. Let's make them a, a journey. And and gave you know and they gave they brought in the love interests for Michael, Doctor Dave, and then ultimately um, Bobby Robert Kant as uh, as Professor Ben, who was hot. But so um, uh, say what? Who was so hot? Or did you say? Oh yeah, so hot, ridiculous, just ridiculous. Um, anyway, and uh, so it was a really meaningful um, relationship to me, both on both in front of the camera and behind it. You know, like I said, Scott, Scott and I took care of each other in Canada. We, we all were quite a family, but Scott and I are just, to this day, super, super tight. He's the greatest. Uh, hi, Peter. Agreed. It's Ryan. Uh, first of all, hi, I just want to say that, <clears throat> so I, I was very young when uh, Queer as Folk first came out, but I remember seeing commercials for it and uh, advertisements for it on the subway, and it totally shaped my, like, not only my idea of what being gay meant and like what it looked like, but like to this day, I feel like Emmett's Luke's his like ensembles have influenced <laughs> my own personal like aesthetic as a as a gay man. So thank you I for love that. That 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 was, that was very, very important. Um, so uh, you had done an interview that said that Queer as Folk was the first show that didn't try to deny that men had sex up the ass and there was a lot yeah. a lot yeah. of butt sex on that show um why yeah. why was that so important i mean why was that so uh revolutionary 
Well, I think, you know, so much of the, of the gay movement up to that point had been sort of apologetic. I mean, I certainly know there, there, had, been fact, there had been lots of radical factions. But in terms of the sort of the, the media representation that we were getting, there was always this sense of like, well, as long as they're funny, as long as they don't actually kiss, as long as they don't do anything untoward, we'll, we'll, let them, we'll let them on our television. Right. And what I think was so powerful about Showtime's whole, uh, not Showtime, about Queer's Folk's whole mantra was it was no apologies, no regrets. I'm not going to apologize because I like to get fucked up the ass. Like, that was a statement. And I think that not only was that um, important in, in, in the gay civil rights movement was let's stop apologizing and start demanding what we actually deserve, which is some equal fucking rights. Um, uh, it, it was also important in terms of narrative storytelling. I don't think Queer as Folk gets enough credit for, for being one of the first shows on television to use sex as an actual storytelling tool. And as we all know, sex is a hugely important, important part of our lives and yeah. an and and important yeah. part of the narratives we develop around our lives. I think and it was. That's not just gay people. That's anyone. I think it was hugely important in allowing gay men to be sexual without without shame, um, and I, particularly I, I, coming when it did, sort of on the tail end of of the AIDS crisis. I think it it it, it made gay sex fun and and sexy yeah. and and nothing to to hide. Yeah. That yes. And that I I think that I think that's huge, and hugely important, and still resonating. Still resonating. Absolutely. Peter, you are one of the co-creators of The Fosters, which is now um, coming to an end after, what is it, four seasons? Five. Five seasons on what was ABC Family and is now Freeform. What inspired you to create a show about a family with two moms? So interestingly, I'm my producing partner, uh, Bradley Bredewig and I, we had been, we had sold several things um, together. We had sold a bunch of pilots and set up a few movies. Nothing had ever gotten made. And every year we would sort of look at each other and go, okay, what do we want to write this year? What are we going to go take out and pitch to the networks? And, and one of those strategies we had for that was what's not on the air? What kind of TV do we love that's not being seen anywhere? Where's the vacuum? As opposed to chasing the wave, right, of what everyone else is doing, where's the vacuum? And we were both big, you know, family drama guys. We both loved a good family drama. And at the time, Parenthood was the only family drama on TV, like anywhere. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we sort of said, well, what would, our, what would our version of a family drama be? And the first thought was, well, maybe we'll do a gay one. Maybe we'll do two dads and I'll play one of the dads even. Maybe we'll sell that. And then it seemed like, well, between Modern Family and The New Normal was coming on and Glee was just starting with their two dad story. And it seemed like there were a lot of gay dads out there all of a sudden. Yeah. Um, mostly comics. Um, in most of the comedy space, but um, but it, then it just sort of hit us both like a ton of bricks. Like there are no two mom stories out there, and every lesbian couple I know has kids or is is trying to or is planning to. It's it, it, so it, it just seems like suddenly insane that two women were not being represented anywhere in the media landscape as as creating family. Right, and um, so that was that. That became very exciting to us. Let's do that. Let's tell those stories, and then uh, the next question becomes: How did these two women create their family? And that led to exploring the foster system, uh, another you know highly um, kind of under discussed topic in this in this culture. There are four hundred thousand kids in the system at any given moment, and we all like to pretend that's not happening because it's really hard to look at. Well, I think it's an incredible show, and my only complaint about it is that you're not on it. Why didn't you create uh, some kind of recurring character for for Peter Page? Here's the here's the thing: when you are when you create a TV show, a drama in particular, it's it's different with comedies. But when you create a drama where you're doing 20 episodes a year, you, you I mean, I have a, I have like nine jobs right. acting. I just there just literally wasn't time. And, you know, I could have done I could have done like a one day kind of little like cute cameo, but I, that's not interesting to me as an actor. Yeah, I would want to do something rich and complex and I don't have the time to do that. So it, it just never really it never quite worked out. But well, we would all love to see you back on the screen, camera. big or small. You're so ho- hopefully sweet. now you'll have more time. The, the Foster's you, finale is a it's a three part finale, right? Yes. Three parts starting uh, this week, Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday night on Freeform. On Freeform, eight o'clock on Freeform, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and it's really Joanna Johnson who who came on board after Brad and I created the pilot to help us run the show. She 
uh, we were off doing another pilot for um, ABC that ends up going away. But um, she wrote and directed these these last three episodes that we came in to help produce them and, and were there for the end of it. But she did an incredible job. It's a really fun, um, nostalgic, heartbreaking, um, very fostery journey over three nights that I think the fans are really going to love. Well, we will be watching. Peter, in the time remaining, it is time to play everyone's favorite game, Ask Me No Questions. Hit it, Ask JB. Ask Me No Questions. Ask me no questions. Ask me no questions. Yeah. All right. Ready? <laughs> who was the best? Sure. Kiss, who was the best kisser in the Queerest Folk cast? Um, I only kissed. The only one I ever kissed was Scotty. Everyone else I kissed was a guest star. Mabataglia was a good kisser too, though. There you go. What is your signature dish? Oh, uh, um, uh, gluten-free oatmeal pancakes. Oh, delicious. Who is your celebrity crush? Oh, my God. I have so many. It's not um, Sean Hayes. <laughs> it's not Sean. Um, <laughs> my celebrity crush is, oh, God, it's probably Chris Evans. Oh, good answer. Okay. We've had that come up before. Yeah. Get it? One I'm of, sure you have. He's one of the Chris's that, uh, that could yeah. get it from me. I think um, any of the Chris's, honestly. Absolutely. Have you ever met a guy from Pittsburgh as attractive as any of the guys on Queer as Folk? <laughs> <laughs> that's the real tea um, I, I take the fifth because I have to say those of us in New York City watching the show we were like uh, excuse us but not even in New York do the guys look like that when you go out to a club this ain't what Pittsburgh looks like I think a lot of gay people moved to Pittsburgh and were quite disappointed, disappointed. There, there, I'm sure there were a few people who made that mistake <laughs> should Samantha B have apologized for calling Ivanka Trump a cunt um, I, I, I wish that she had apologized without having to kind of walk the whole thing back. I wish that she had said the choice of words was wrong, but I stand by everything else I said. That's a perfect answer. I agree with you. I think what she said was a hundred percent right. I just don't think she needed to add yeah. cunt. Yeah. It's just the, it just the use of that word made it into, you know, uh, undermined her point. We talked about this earlier on the show. The other point I wanted to make, uh, you guys, was that uh, if she had just said, if she had said everything the same but not used the word cunt, then it would have been more effective. Then, then we would actually be debating Trump's immigration policies. Now we're debating the word cunt. Right. Right. right? So that's, that's exactly right. That's why it becomes exactly right. a distraction. And for those of us, including everyone on this call, who traffic in the provocative sometimes, yes, it's good to be reminded of that. That exactly. there are times when, when you can over-provoke and lose, you lose your course. Right. When I talk about my anal surgery on the air, it may be good for ratings, but it certainly isn't good for my sex life. Um, P- Peter, boxers, briefs, jockstrap, or commando? Uh, I'm a, I, love a, I love a fan of a good pair of tidy whiteies. Oh, there you go. Classic. Ryan likes those too, right? Mm-hmm. I'm a boxer brief girl myself. Um, w- uh, what is the most lesbianic moment of your life? Um, I, I have a lot of them. Are you kidding? I'm, I'm like an honorary. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> the most, uh, most lesbianic. Um, I mean, oh, I don't know. I don't. I don't. Ha- I don't have an answer. I've got. No- wait, wait. I do. I'm sorry. I used to sleep in a Babe Diedrichson T-shirt. From the age of six. Wow. That's real dyke. Yeah. <laughs> really. What is your favorite gay vacation spot? Um, my favorite gay vacation spot is probably uh, Cherry Grove, Fire Island. Well, we will yes. definitely be looking for you there this summer. Peter Page, you are delightful. Mm-hmm. People can follow you on Twitter at ThePeterPage, P-A-I-G-E. How else can people follow you? How should they follow you? That's really it. That's that's my that's my social media presence. You're not on not the going, Instagram. I'm not on the Insta. I haven't done it. Um, I so have a lot of friends. There's somebody with, out there posing as me on on the Insta, but it's not me. Well, a lot of my friends have huge crushes on you, and by my friends, I mean me. Uh, so please, uh, please join Insta done? and put your pictures up. Peter Page, thank you so much for being here. Ryan Frostig, thank you so much for co-hosting. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Ryan, you'll be back next week for another episode. Sure will. Also next week, our guests will be identical twin comedians, Stone and Stone. Make sure you subscribe to Derek and Romaine. Their show airs Monday through Friday right here in the DNR studios. It's DerekandRomaine.com. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Adam Sank and email me at Adam at AdamSank.com. 
And there's the music, ladies and gentlemen. Have a fabulous week. Thank you for listening. And once again, don't forget to leave your reviews. They're very important. I'd love to get a new iTunes review this week from you bitches. Uh, And welcome to our new caller, Gail. From Where was she from? I don't remember. (laughs) Sorry, Gail. (laughs) Thanks, you guys. Have a great week, bitches.